in some ways, death has a way of changing what we were in life. Public figures and artists who pass away at a young age sometimes become cultural icons. John F. Kennedy, James Dean, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, to name just a few, achieved the kind of success in death that maybe would have escaped them in life. Maybe Kennedy would have lost his reelection. Maybe with age, James Dean would have been come to regard it as a has-been actor. Maybe, more, maybe time would have robbed Marilyn Monroe of her power. We'll never know. The mystery of maybe is the power of their story. But in Jewish tradition, the power of what people are is not what might have been, but in what they were and what they achieved. The story is told of a man, Chaim of Volozhin, the town of Volozhin, that as a young man, he was an indifferent student. And finally, one day, he decided to abandon his studies and go to a trade school. And his parents, who had dreams of scholarship for him, reluctantly agreed. But that night, the young man had a dream, and in it, he saw an angel holding a stack of beautiful books. And he asked the angel, whose books are those? They are yours, the answer came, if you have the courage to write them. That dream changed the young man's life, and Chaim from Volozhin became Rabbi Chaim of Volozhin on his way to discovering who he was, he was meant to become. But to this day, he is better known as the Nefesh HaChayim, because great Jewish scholars often have their names replaced after the books that they have written. The 15th century Spanish scholar, Rabbi Joseph Caro, is known as HaMachaber, the author, because he authored the Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch. The 18th century Polish rabbi, Mayor Israel Kagan, came to be known as the Chafetz Chaim, after the famous book he wrote of that same name about the laws of gossiping. The list is long and rightly so, because a written book leaves no mystery of what might have been. A great book only asks, what will be of us, those who have read it? The truth told, the number of books that alter people so profoundly that even the person who wrote it is subsumed by it are small in number. But when they are there, you can't forget it. Earlier this month, the Jewish world suffered a true loss. Rabbi Harold Kushner passed away at the age of 88. You may or you may not recognize his name, but the first book that he wrote changed not only his life, but the lives of millions of other people. Published in 1981, when Bad Things Happen to Good People became a surprise hit. And by surprise, I meant to everyone, to Rabbi Kushner, to the two publishing houses that passed on it, to the New York Times bestsellers list, where it stayed for months before eventually reading position number one. Millions of copies later, dozens of translations into other languages, and of the eight books that he would go on to write, it is that one which he will forever be associated with. More than his name, the book is what people will know him for. And years ago when I met him, which was the first of a number of crossings that we would have, first at conventions, and then a chance meeting in Israel, and then an email which led to a conversation, and then ultimately him coming 
about 14 years ago to Beth Shalom to speak, he confided in me the mistake that most people made about his book. It's a mistake that they often make first when recalling its name. Lots of people, myself included by the way, would call it why bad things happen to good people. Why bad things happen to good people. But trying to explain why bad things happen is the event horizon of theological work. Searching for definitive truths about God is impossible work. On one hand, there is a maximalist school which says that all things occur as the will of God. It implies that nothing is accidental and what we are given in this life, be it good or ill, is God's plans for us. So when people say no person ever gets what they can't handle, they're drawing from this idea. This was also the theory that I lived under for much of my formative years. And while it's profoundly comforting, as you experience life's rawness, you may find it leaves massive questions whose answers are often painful, hollow, and sometimes both. The minimalist extreme is absolutely nihilistic, denying any purpose or meaning to anything. It sees nothing of God in anything, and it leaves us feeling meaningless, abandoned, and fearful. But Harold Kushner was adamant that the book was not intend intended to explain why bad things happen. The fact is we don't know why one person gets sick and another one doesn't. Rabbi Kushner argued in his book that God doesn't send illnesses to people. For him and for me, it is not possible to imagine God has some kind of weekly quota of illnesses that he has to distribute in the world. The book is titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It asks how to stay good when life turns bad. The source of the book was the death of his son, Aaron. At age three, Aaron was diagnosed with a rare disease, progeria, which causes the body to age rapidly. When Aaron was 10 years old, he was 60s, physiologically. He weighed only 25 pounds and went as tall as a tree. As a three-year-old, and then in 1977, Two days after his 14th birthday, he passed away. In an interview 30 years after that passing, Rabbi Kushner said, like a lot of children who feel that they're going to die soon, he was afraid that he would be forgotten because he didn't live long enough. But he didn't realize that parents never forget. And I promised I would tell his story. The story to be told was not just of illness, but of struggle and of heartache and of courage. One of the stories that Rabbi Kushner told me was when he and his wife, Suzette, heard a job was available at a shul closer in the heart of Boston. Boston was where their son went for treatment and they desperately wanted that position because it would have saved them untold hours back and forth from their community in suburban Massachusetts. Rabbi Kushner replied and waited for an answer. And finally it came, no. They had given the job to someone else and they were shattered. Later that day, the phone rang. It was friends of theirs. Rabbi, the caller said, be ready in two hours. We're taking you out to dinner. Now he pleaded to make it another day, but to no luck. 
They were in no mood to go out, but the other couple simply wouldn't take no for an answer. They got picked up a few hours later, sat down to eat. A first bottle of wine was ordered, then a second, and then a third. The next morning, hungover, Rabbi Kushner understood well what had happened. He had lost the job that he had wanted, but the evening reminded him that they were surrounded by loving and caring people. Sometimes, he said to me, God's answer is the people that he sends your way. In one recent day, I spoke with several people whose lives had been changed in an instant, which is often the way our lives change. One man called me to tell me that his doctor had given him the bad news that he was going to lose all of his teeth. He was a vital and charming man, and suddenly with the news he felt horribly old. His teeth were symbolic of being young, and he didn't have to think when he would eat, and a toothless mouth wasn't a question of dentistry to him. It was of destiny. Later that morning, I met with a grandparent whose grandchild was very sick. She came to me wanting me to speak to the child in a way that would be meaningful to them as a teenager. She felt that they were looking for answers and she had none to give. And then at the end of my day, I came, a man came in asking if he could see me for a moment. A friend of his had just passed away from suicide and he didn't know what to do or how to feel. To each of them, I was reminded that in the face of catastrophe, faith can help direct a person to rebuild. And confronted with failure, faith can give us a reason to carry on. My belief shows that God isn't here to change the world into something we want, but God can change us into something that can face and bear our world. The holiday of Shavuot celebrates and commemorates the giving of the Aserat Dibrot of the Ten Commandments. Rabbinic tradition imagined that the writing on these tablets was not human-like, but because they were divine, they were letters of fire on top of fire, white fire on top of black fire. It is for this reason that the Torah parchment must always be a light color, and the ink in the Torah must always be black. It is also a reflection of life. The world that we live in is a constant mixture of light and dark, of pain and joy, and of loss and frustration. The hard truth is that people who pray for miracles usually don't get them any more than children who pray for bicycles or good grades get them. But people who pray for courage, for strength to bear the unbearable, for the grace to remember that what they have left in this world, instead of what they have lost, very often find those prayers answered. And yet, and yet the words of Kohelet of Ecclesiastes must ring true. Of the writing of books, there is no end. The truth is there is no end to the reasoning and speaking and theorizing about pain and loss. In fact, it can get to the point where these hurtful things become so abstract and chimeric, like an experiment that stays in a lab and never sees the light of day. But that is not the world that we live in. Here, we must endure the tearing away of people we love, 
where the loss and setbacks we face aren't theoretical, but very real. And despite all the talk of moral victories about courage, about how life and difficulty can build character and strength, there abides another and more deeper truth that we must acknowledge. Rabbi Kushner once said that the loss of his son made him a better rabbi and a better person and a wiser, more compassionate man. And yet he would give it all back in an instant to have his son with him. And wouldn't we all? Shabbat Shalom Chag Sameh.